Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. This is Jeff Fedoten with Believe in Chiefs on the Believe Podcast Network, Kansas City's number one sports podcast network. The only place with a show for every team in KC and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? On this week's show, Chiefs, former Chiefs offensive lineman Joe Valero and I are joined by Vahe Gregorian, the Kansas City Star sports columnist. Thanks so much for joining us, Vahe. Great to be with you guys, truly. Yeah, Vahe, well, it's, it's awesome to have you on, man. This is, this is great. Love reading your stuff, and you do such a great job of, of covering uh, sports and, and the Chiefs, especially in Kansas City. So thank you for all that. Well, and we'll you. definitely be talking some Chiefs stuff, also some Penn football stuff. I might have to be a little bit of a traffic cop here so we get, don't get totally derailed into Penn football, but we're definitely going to be talking about that. Vahe, um, I was wondering, you know, when Patrick Mahomes – was drafted, kind of the narrative is he, he was kind of like, yeah, this great arm, but he was kind of like Jay Cutler, and Andy Reid would eventually coach him, and he'd be great. He obviously is so transcendent. When did you first know, having observed him, that he was special? Was it, did you see something when he was a rookie just watching practice? Did you talk to a coach or a player who said, you know, this guy, he's more than just the 10th pick in the draft. He's, he's really something. Well, I tell you what, you, you, you picked up the buzz a little bit, but you don't exactly know what the chatter means in some ways, right? I mean, it, it, you had some sense of him wowing people in practice. Um, you understood the big arm, but the question with him when he was drafted and even on into the, that first sort of redshirt year was, okay, how is he going to adapt to the NFL? Is he is – he, a swashbuckler that he appears to be, you know, sort of a little riverboat gambler, or is it in fact something that can be channeled? Um, I think what I didn't understand about him was, I thought there were all those X factors. I didn't understand how um, just tr- very smart he is, but also something even beyond that. And, and Joe, you, you, you've been around a lot of great players. It, it, I, I think you, you would agree with this, uh, being a defining kind of thing, there's a mechanism in him that slows everything down around him. Um, mm-hmm. What looks preposterous to us actually is a pretty calculated move by him. Now, I don't think that was necessarily the case as he came out of tech, but I think you had this sort of beautiful fusion of the raw the raw material there, but the innate smarts, the uh, sort of photographic memory, um, all those things. And then you have Andy Reid. And Andy, I think this is fair to say, I think Andy at the time was certainly considered an innovator, but also you know, considered a guy who um, tended to opt for the dial it down uh, West Coast aspects, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's not three yards in a cloud of dust, but you know, let, let's, let's throw that short pass out into the flat percentage, 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 more than going for broke. So there's sort of this synergistic thing to them, and I know that's not really what you're asking me right now, Jeff, about Patrick, but that, that eventually would kick in. The moment really that, that uh, the gift wrap came off of Patrick for me really was just his first NFL game when he played against Denver at the end of that season. He, he made a couple mistakes, but there were three or four moments in that game where you just thought a little bit of like, oh, and this is, this is a true story, and it sounds kind of funny. You know, press boxes aren't um, 
really raucous places. I mean, people mm -hmm. are in there do their jobs and, and you know, you're not, there'll be laughter, but people by and large are <laughs> in the moment. And the story has been told a few times, but it bears mention here Two of the guys that I work with. Um, one is a former colleague, but, but one that I still work with Sam Ellinger. I still work with at the star and Therese Paler is now at Yahoo. Mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're wonderful. They're, they're, they're uh, great, great reporters, great writers, everything. And they observe decorum in the press box, but they literally fell out of their chairs, they literally fell out of their chairs on one throw. It was this throw where Patrick was rolling right. And, and I think he had about four people in his grill and he threw about 22 yards downfield on the dime in between like three sets of arms. And you watch that throw, you weren't thinking the guy was reckless. You were thinking he had a sixth sense um, and the power to deliver. So, that was a moment. And then after the game, I thought this was very interesting. You know, he was playing because they were resting up Alex Smith for the playoffs. Um, but after that game, Andy Reid, who, as you guys know, can play it kind of close to the vest, really more or less just said he had complete command of the offense. Um, there was sort of a, a look in Andy's eye, uh, some things there where you just understood that, okay, it's going to be one redshirt year. And he sees what, what, what there is inside. So that's longer answer than you wanted, Jeff, but that, that, that's a little bit of what I saw bubbling up around then. And that's a great anecdote. It's really cool. That is. I, I love that, Vi. I think that's, that's, that's some great insight that, you know, a lot of fans aren't, aren't going to really have, you know, that kind of uh, have appreciation for that story. And, and I know exactly what you mean about, th about that that slowing down of the game. I mean, when I, you know, when I came out of Penn and I know I don't want to start too quick on, on the Penn stuff since there's like a three way connection here that we have with the university of Pennsylvania between, you know, your brother, Jeff and, and me and Bahe. but you know, coming out of Penn, you know, things were, the game just wasn't as fast for me as it was, you know, when I got to the NFL and, and it, it took a, it took a while for me to really understand that speed and, and, I know that feeling, what you're talking about, Mahe, when, when the game slows down for you. I use this really strange analogy. It's kind of like if you're, if you're, a, um, if, if you're like an Animal Planet fan, if you've ever seen, they try to do these simulations where they'll, they'll try to show you what like a fly or an insect sees because their metabolisms are so sped up, right, that they see things pretty much in slow motion. And that's why flies can you know, they can get away from you, you know, when you try to swat them or, or insects or bees or birds, like that's how they can move so quickly because everything else is happening in slow motion for them because of their metabolism. And I only experienced that once. And Jeff and I talked about this on a pod once when I overdosed on caffeine uh, when, when I was playing uh, against the Raiders with 103 temperature. But <laughs> that was the only time in my NFL or my sports career where I actually saw things in slow motion the way that I think a Patrick Mahomes does. But um, I know that feeling and I know exactly what it is that you're getting at when, when you see a player who, who when everything on, when, when he's looking at things on the field, for him they're happening in slow motion and that is him to a T. Let me quick chime in with something that's off the rails, but I got to say it. Uh, two nights ago I was drifting asleep to an old Star Trek uh, episode. It was called Wink of an Eye. And the whole episode is based on this, the aliens being at hyper speed. And uh, one of them like dumping some some chemical in Kirk's coffee. And now he's at hyper speed. And they all sound like flies. 
Um, <laughs> you and they're looking at everybody in the enterprises and moving in slow motion. It kind of <laughs> brought that into focus for me. It, exactly. So there's, you know, there's our, we can, we can continue on, on down that, you know, those analogies, but you know, and the other thing I think about Patrick too is, you know, his, we were chatting earlier before we started the recording about, you know, high school sports and, and, and multi-sport athletes and things like that, um, that we have experienced in our lives. I think, I think a lot of that helps too, you know, for somebody like Patrick, right. Of growing up around the major league baseball game, you know, he played basketball. He was a fantastic baseball player. Like, he he wasn't that singular focused you know athlete that was just zeroed in on being a quarterback or zeroed in on being a pitcher or zeroed in on being a power forward like i think that to me i think that's the future of sports um when you look at the speed and the athletic ability of the players that are coming is people that can adjust to different situations how he can make those he makes throws like a baseball player he makes moves like a basketball player and he has the toughness of a of a football player you know, be able to do the contact sports side of it. I mean, it, it, what do you think about that, Vahe? When you're in your history of, of watching athletes come in and out of the Kansas City organization, do, do you have a, a pattern where you see players who are, who are athletes like that have better success? Well, I, I do think this. I think part of what, you know, part of what the Chiefs were thinking about when they drafted Patrick was the high ceiling versus, you know, I mean, they were, they were thinking we're shooting the moon. And one of the reasons they, they thought that way about him was the, the range of the skill set, right? Whether it's the, the nimbleness, uh, uh, the, 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 the different release points, all the different ways he could do things that come out of exactly what you said, Joe. I mean, playing all those games, you can see um, there are certain deliveries of his that are absolutely baseball motions. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of that, I think, you know, it's it's sort of widely understood that some of those no look passes and stuff came from them goofing around at Texas Tech, but but you see that in baseball all the time when you know just different different um, exchanges and different things like that. So there's there's something there for sure. And I do think if, if I understand your question right, one of the things this has certainly happened in the Andy Reid era, and, and and you know I'm pretty you know, hyper-focused on that as opposed to what's going on around the NFL in a lot of ways. But um, I think they're looking for the athlete. Look at Just look at this last mm-hmm. draft. Look at the kind of guys that they're trying to get are, are guys that probably um, – I mean, they, they want guys who love football, but they're guys that, that uh, could play a lot of sports well. Uh, I, mm-hmm. So I think that's no coincidence. I, I agree. Well, hey, what is – and obviously there's a lot of unknowns – uh, for this upcoming NFL season, whether it's going to be a regular schedule, whether even be football. Uh, what is the Chiefs obviously return 20 of 22 starters? A lot's been made out of that. What, what's your predictions? I mean, do you like their chances uh, for the Super Bowl? You think just repeating is so difficult? What are kind of your pre- early predictions for next season? Well, I sort of think this. It, there are two different things, I guess. One is I like their chances. And, and uh, I think they're the team to beat. Um, but it has been, whatever it is, 15 years since a team has repeated. Um, I think that's right in, in, in a Super Bowl, winning back-to-back Super Bowls. And it, it, whatever the case is, it, it, it's, it's hard to do. And we had a, a really good teleconference or Zoom call with Andy Reid the other day. And uh, Sam Mellinger asked the question in just the right way about the challenge of, of repeating and, and really evoked a good answer from Andy. Um, and Andy talked a lot about 
just that that one of the dynamics when you win the Super Bowl is there's there's a, re a reversal of the dynamics, right? There's you are climbing the ladder, you are hungry, you've you're, you've got something to shoot for that you didn't quite reach, especially in the case of the Chiefs coming into last year, right, being right on the cusp. Um, and now it's the other way around. You, you've, you've reached the goal. So obviously there's a huge psychological aspect of this, retaining the hunger, believing you can be better, understanding you, you should still be able to grow. And I think one of the things Andy has really tried to get across, and I think it's resonating, um, again, just from what little we can tell, is that they, they, were, they didn't play anywhere near as well as they could have played last year. Mm -hmm. Um, particularly, you could say that about the defense, which naturally was not going to really form until about halfway through right, the year. with all the change and all the yeah. changes, all the personnel, coaches, scheme. So, I, I think I think he's tapped something important there, and you know, you guys know this, Joe. You particularly know it. I mean, even if you had the exact same guys coming back, and you wouldn't ever have exactly the same guys coming back, every year is still a different entity and a different psychological challenge. So that's, that's what, what they have. They have a lot coming back. They have an intact staff, which is kind of rare for a Super Bowl winner. Um, but what the X factor is really is, you know, will they come closer to maximizing what they can be? And of course, the other X factor, which is just always true, um, there's gotta be a little, little fortune. Just mm -hmm. whether it's something like the Patriots being losing the Dolphins on the last day of the season, or you know they had five, six, seven things sort of fall like that that I think made a big difference in how the postseason went. Oh, that was huge, and then and then you know getting the health back towards the end of the yeah. season and and having yeah. and every, having everybody healthy. That's to me, I think that's the most critical part of the NFL. Um, you know, sort of the strength of a team is how how injury free they can stay because the to me, the depth of an NFL roster has waned ever since you know that first collective bargaining agreement that was done after the Reggie White case, right? Where your the salary cap just created a real um, tough situation for what I would call the middle class of the NFL of the players that were that were operating in that environment. The the Five, we'll call it four to five year plus veterans that were not starters, that were backups that, you know, quite frankly, the NFL, to, even to this day with the amount of salary cap they have, they still can't afford those players. You know, I mean, you're rounding out the roster with, you know, rookies and first and second and third year players because, when, you know, once they hit that fourth year and then the salary jumps, and if you're not a starter by that point, it's kind of like, well, you know, we really don't have those guys around the locker room anymore. You know, where 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 if your starting left guard goes down, or your you know your third wide receiver goes down, you know the next player in is probably somebody who has not been in the league very long, and is probably not you know at a salary level that's commensurate with what you'd expect the the depth to be at that particular time. And and I, I think it's hurt the league as far as being able to create those. And and by think about it. May, that goes right along with the 15 years of not having a repeated Super Bowl champion. It's because you can't like sustain, you know, the, the health of the team. And when you do have that, you know, it, when you have those injuries, teams suffer, you know, um, yeah. 25, 30 years ago, when you're start, if you lost two starting offensive linemen, you didn't really miss a beat because you, you probably had a seven or eight or nine year veteran backing them up that, you know, wasn't going to lose a game for you. 
you know, they, they weren't pro bowl caliber, but they were definitely not going to lose the game to me. And, and you probably know this better than anybody now is that those players don't really exist anymore. Yeah. I think that's, that's obviously part of the challenge. And one of the things that's kind of interesting about the chiefs is, you know, for instance, Patrick, they just did the fifth year option with him. They'll get a contract worked out for him, but that's going to, that's going to shift some, have a tectonic, shift on the their ability to do things you know in the next year or so so you see moves being made now to try to keep chris jones or do things like that dustin colquitt i i wish he would uh not have not have been cut but that was just for a couple million dollars of salary cap that they they thought they needed to do that so there's all kinds of little things i shouldn't say little things but things of that nature going on um and, and yet they are still fortunate though they've got uh, a fair amount of pretty young guys and, and guys under contract for a couple more years, things like that, that are in a good spot. So eh, we'll, we'll see. They'll have to be creative, but we'll see. And a great point there. And they are definitely going to have to be creative. And while we're all waiting this one out at home, you can still have some fun betting at betonline.ag. With no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on, but, but, Bet Online still has hundreds of places to wager, including their online casino with poker and blackjack. And sports aren't totally done. There's still esports, American Idol, Big Brother, the elections, the spelling bee, their $750,000 poker series. There's still fun to be had. So go to betonline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100 to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's betonline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100. Bet online, your online wagering experts. Uh, now, you guys both have a Penn football connection. Both play there. So I'm curious, by hey, when you first heard of, you know, Joe was such a great player at Penn, a, a second-round pick, I, I believe, by the Chiefs. So he obviously, I'm curious when you first became aware or heard of Joe Valero as this great prospect uh, coming down the line. And, Joe, I'm curious when you first became aware of like a, a longtime columnist at the Post-Dispatch, a, a big name in journalism. I'm sure you were aware of him. So I'm kind of curious to hear both your guys' takes on that. Well, I think it's more likely I heard of Joe than Joe heard of me. <laughs> no, no. But, I, but I, I think just the way that this traced through, you know, Joe, I don't think I ever met you, like, in your time with the Rams even. Um, I think there's a chance. Well, that was a really short. All right, let me just let's, – let's, let's put a disclaimer on. That was a really short cup of coffee there. <laughs> Uh, no, I'm just kidding. But yeah, I don't. I didn't have time to meet half the coaching staff uh, as short as I was as short as I was with the Rams. But uh, I was. I, I, was didn't, I didn't think they knew how to get you into the offense to score touchdowns the way you're used to doing. So that was part of the problem. <laughs> but we 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 so I think we were kind of ships passing in the night. I bet you, and and I'll be embarrassed if Joe ends up remembering that we had a real meeting before. But I I think we only might have met tangentially here or there like there might have been a chance we shook hands but I don't think I ever remember having a conversation with you Joe um yeah yeah I mean it's that's 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 real true because about hey what year did you you graduated from I, Penn in yeah I got done at Penn in 83 and you 83 you got there in 87 or something right yeah Is I got there in 87 so I was yeah. you know I was just um you know just starting high school, you know, yeah. not that we're <laughs> that far apart. <laughs> no, but there's a little, but, uh, little lineage, right? I mean, we, you know, you, yeah. you played for Coach Burnt, I think. 
Uh, he was actually gone when I was gone. So co- my first coach was uh, was Coach Zubrow in his last season. Uh, yeah. His was well, last two seasons actually. He recruited me and and brought me to Penn. And uh, you know, you know, coming coming out of Penn, you know, I think I think was was you know, it was a very unique opportunity, right, for for me. And and you know, at that time, you know, Nick Lowry um, out of Dartmouth. Um, oh, I forgot about that. You know, I'm trying to think of some of the other players. You know, Brent Novoselsky, right? Who you would have probably crossed paths with at Penn, obviously. Yeah. Um, but you know, Brent was an inspiration of mine, right? For his time, um, you know, with uh, with the the Bears, the Vikings, the Packers, mostly with the Vikings. I mean, he was he 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 was really my inspiration to say that you know I could do this. Um, Marty Peterson was an offensive tackle who was with the Cowboys for a time on that 80. He was on that 86 undefeated team at Penn that, that beat Navy. Um, you know, there was, there were definitely some Jim Katricchia uh, played quarterback uh, for the giants. You know, there was, there, there was not a real sustained Ivy league presence back then at that point. So, you know, it was, um, it was really fun to be part of that, you know, sort of pioneering group. I mean, God, it was a statistic out not too long ago where, for the first time, I think it was maybe two camps ago, maybe three camps ago, where the um, the Ivy League every Ivy League team was represented at an NFL camp, which was a was a first, uh, which I thought was was really cool. Um, yeah. So you know, it, it's 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 been it's been a league that that really the NFL has been looking to to really you know find talent, and it's um, it's been really fantastic, and it's an honor to have been part of that sort of pioneering group that you know kind of help pave the way for it. Um, even though maybe the chiefs thought I went to Penn state, I don't know who knows. Right. Um, but, um, you know, it was, uh, it was, it was, it was a, you know, fantastic experience, you know, playing at Penn and, and, uh, you know, obviously Vahi's, you know, great journalism, uh, lineage coming out of Penn, right. I mean, tons of, of authors and journalists and people who've covered, you know, sports and you, you name it, uh, as it relates to journalism, they've, They've had, uh, you know, fantastic, uh, you know, sort of lineage and, 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 and sort of tree coming out of there. I mean, Vahe, did you, did you have a lot of inspiration coming out of, uh, from Penn journalists that, that, you know, brought you into, into the career that you're in now? Well, it's funny. There's a couple aspects to this. I think you'll get a kick out of this. So I got the Penn. I arrived in 79, and I'm thinking of this part of it um, because of what you said about sort of sports uh, – even though it was Ivy League kind of capturing your imagination at the time, that was, 79 was the year Penn basketball went to the Final Four. Um, overshadowed somehow by Magic and Bird, but uh, <laughs> nonetheless. But so I arrived on campus that, that year, and, and uh, Joe, I, I don't know, did they still have the freshman team when you were playing? Um, they did, yeah, which was a great, yeah. that was a great experience. We could have a whole podcast on, on that whole thing. But yeah, Absolutely. That was- Taking a quick break here from our Believe in Chiefs pod. I haven't really woken up until I've had my McDonald's breakfast deal. And I know this is true because before breakfast, I put my phone in the refrigerator and couldn't find the keys that were already in my hand. Nothing gets the morning going like the first sip of an iced coffee. Get any size and any flavor for 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price and participation may vary. McDonald's. I'm loving it. And now we're back. Vahe, you were just talking about the freshman team on Penn. 
Uh, And Joe had that too when he was there that was still in existence. And and look, it was a great experience for me, um, but unlike Joe, I was not a a star in the making. Um, I I had a good freshman year. I was a receiver, but I, I broke my ankle in the fourth or fifth game and I broke it pretty severely, like in three places, tore two ligaments, dislocated. And uh, let's just say I didn't get faster. Um, and I loved it. I'm glad I, glad I stuck with it. But by my senior year, when we had a coaching change, um, we only won – varsity won two games in three years going into my senior year. And uh, Coach Burnt um, pulled me aside before, before the start of the season and said he, he'd love to play me, but I was too – slow for my size, not fast enough for my size, and not big <laughs> enough for my speed. I think that was the term, which I thought was, you know, kind of a nice way to let, you know, try to let me down gently. But I wouldn't trade that experience of senior year for anything. I, I, I didn't play much, but we ended up, you know, it was the first championship since 59, I think. And I think we always thought that that kind of started some things for Penn. And back to a question you asked me, Joe, just to tie a bow around this. Um, you know, we were around the Daily Pennsylvanian guys a little bit, mm-hmm. and there were some pretty, pretty smart, good writers there. And uh, Ken Rosenthal, you guys probably know of Ken, sure. uh, out there, mm-hmm. are pretty prominent now in covering With major league baseball. Ken, uh, for Franklin Field Illustrated, Ken, Ken did a story on me on the senior who never plays. Um, <laughs> And uh, ever since then, Ken, about, Ken and I have had a little bond. And uh, so I, I just thought I should share that. And uh, we talk about it every time we run into each other. And it wasn't until a couple of years later I really got in, interested in, in journalism. Just mm-hmm. I, I, long story short, I was having a little trouble figuring out what I wanted to do. And I finally went back. The reason I'm out here in Missouri, I came to Columbia, Missouri in the mid-'80s for grad school. Mm-hmm. And that morphed into a job in St. Louis for 25 years. And then I came over to Kansas City seven years ago. Great journalism school there, obviously. And I'm sure you, you know, kept tabs on the Penn program. Was there a time that you first heard of like, oh, wow, they got, they got this kid, Joe Valerio. It's not going to just make it to the NFL. He's going to be a high draft pick. Look, it was a, we, we all still go back to games. I, Joe, I'm sure you get back now and then. Um, yeah, you know, them. Yeah, and – and uh, there's that alumni tent down in the uh, uh, far end zone. Uh, we've mm-hmm. probably been in that tent together a time or two. Uh, and um, but 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 you know about what's going on in general. And being being all the way out here, it's a little more rare that I, I get back than I'd like to. But for a period of years, I I typically would get back for a game, and um, sort of little little homecoming feeling, and certainly caught on to to Joe and. Um, I'm sure that I was cognizant of Joe getting drafted by the Chiefs, and uh, um, I, I, I just thought that was, that was really cool for me. I mean, to, to know, as you said, Joe, I mean, really, that was, you were on kind of the cusp of a new wave of, of IV recognition, really, and um, that, by extension, you know, made us proud. Yeah, oh, well, I mean, listen, Vahe, we're, we're all standing on the shoulders of giants, right? I mean, there were so many players that paved the way and, and to create those great teams uh, at Penn in, in the 80s and carried me there. I mean, I, you know, I remember watching, it sounds funny whenever I say this, but they used to carry the Penn games on the local PBS station, uh, Jeff. Uh, so that tells you a little bit about, you know, about Ivy League football. 
but you know, my dad grew up in, in Philadelphia and I was, I was born in South Philadelphia and, and, and he was a huge fan and he, and my dad wasn't a huge football fan, but he was a huge fan of Penn sports and Penn football, especially when you go back to the days of Chuck Bednarik and Skip Manissi and George Savitsky, four time all American, you know, and I always forget uh, about when, Bednarik. When, one of the What's that? greats to ever play. And Eric. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, so that was when, you know, Penn football was, was, was a dominant force in, in, in all of football, not just, you know, the Ivy league, but just in all of football. And, and uh, you know, my dad, so my dad knew when I got my first recruiting letter from Penn, he was basically like, well, if they're going to let you in, you, you're going there. <laughs> I was like, well, dad, but, but what if, you know, he's like, no, there's no, what ifs, no, no one else is coming after you. Cause I was not highly, very highly recruited. Uh, at the Division One level, I mean, I was mostly, uh, you know, Division One AA, you know, Bucknell, Penn, Brown, um, you know, I got a, a little bit of interest from William and Mary, um, you know, and that was it. I mean, I didn't have a whole lot of options, um, you know, coming out of high school. I thought I was going to play baseball in high, in college up until probably my senior year, uh, about the middle of my senior year, uh, senior year football season, where I decided that football was probably going to be it. And so, you know, it was going to Penn and, and, you know, getting to play at Franklin Field, you know, the 86 team that was the team that was, uh, you know, uh, that I watched my, my senior year in high school. And like I said, on PBS of, of all things, um, you know, that team was amazing. And they beat Navy at Navy, right? They were, they ended up going undefeated. That, that team, had they been allowed to go to Division One AA playoffs, I know would have done really, really well. Um, in the Division One AA playoffs, if, if the Ivy League allowed their teams to go, so you know, Vahe, it was yeah, standing on the shoulders of giants. And I, I never thought in a million years, you know, that um, you know when I was going to Penn, I was going there because it was a great opportunity to get a great education, play some really really good football, and 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 be a part of the Penn network, which I'm sure that you've really found to be. Uh, a real strength of the school, no matter where you are in the country, uh, from East Coast to West Coast, you know, the Penn Network, especially the football and the athletic side of it, they really do, um, you know, sort of take care of their own and, and look out for each other, which is, has always been a, a very big uh, source of comfort for me. I mean, when I transitioned from the NFL in, into, uh, you know, we, we always used to joke in the locker room, Dave Zott and I used to sit next to each other and we always would talk about, yeah, the real world where casual Fridays is not a towel and flip-flops. Um, you know, we'd always say, you know, what's the real world, you know, going to be like, but, you know, making that transition into what we call the real world in the locker room, you know, was really for me made a whole lot easier by, by my, by my connections from Penn and and the Penn network. So I will always be be grateful for that because I knew I wasn't gonna be able to play football forever for sure. Well, one of the things sort of hand in hand with that, Joe, is, you know, I, a handful of my really dearest friends are still guys from that team. And in fact, there was uh, a sequence, there's maybe 10 guys on a text chain that they're at any given moment, there's like 127 texts and I can't even bear to read half of it, but, <laughs> but they're guys I care about deeply and, and uh, love to this day. And really my, my best friend really is a, is a, is a pen man uh, lives in ocean city. And we uh, have a home and home series usually every year where they, they come out here or we go to Mexico together and, um, it's, uh, it's the Springsteen song. It's the ties that bind. I really feel <laughs> that with, uh, with all these things. And so that's a, that's a precious time in my life that, um, and it, 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 uh, I think was very meaningful in, in terms of who I think I became, whatever that is in terms of feeling like, um, I could work hard for something and, 
it, and it would and be part of something bigger than yourself and all those things mm -hmm. that they really ring true for me. And, um, so it, it and, and I would say this, uh, one of the greatest days of my life was absolutely, a, we had a pretty dramatic championship that year against Harvard. Mm -hmm. Uh, what was pretty funny or pretty odd about the circumstance was that it was an NFL, uh, work stoppage. So Merrill Reese, the, the voice of the Eagles was doing our games. Oh, great. Right? And, and there were like 40,000 people at Franklin Field for the Harvard game. And it was one of the most, I, I get chills really just thinking about it. This just unbelievable comeback in the last minute 30 and goalposts into the Schuylkill River and stuff like that. I hope that you had that kind of excitement with your championship, Joe. Yeah, we did. And in 1988 was, was, was a really, really special team. Um, you know, and, and, and yeah, but hey, I mean, that was, and you, you know, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, even, even all that excitement around football too. I mean, the Daily Pennsylvanian, right? What an inspiration it must have been for you. I mean, Jeff, the, the Daily Pennsylvanian was, I, I mean, this thing was an amazing newspaper. It came out every day. Um, it was, I mean, it was, it literally was, and, and I'm not trying, I'm trying to sell it in the best of lights. It was professional quality. And I know everybody would want to believe that, you know, the paper that they're working on in college is a professional quality. I mean, but I really mean this thing was, you would, you know, it was free to students, obviously, but man, I'm telling you, it's something that back in the day when, when papers were still a quarter or 50 cents or whatever, you know, um, and you could pick them up at the newsstand. It's a paper that you would have gotten at the newsstand and been happy to have paid whatever the going rate was for the Philadelphia Inquirer or the Kansas City Star or whatever the local newspaper is in, in your city or town. You would have gladly paid for it. That's how, how much professional quality was done and what, and what was put into it. So between the photography, the, the editorials, the, you know, all the articles, the satire, the cartoons, I mean, you name it. It classifies it had it had it all and it did it every single day why was that a was that a did that inspire you that say hey i want that's like a communication mode that i would like to continue on you know I, in in my, in my life i think it planted some seeds for sure like you know getting to you know this is a funny way to think of it but you're right i, I getting to speak on occasion to those reporters seeing them work in the room i i it, i found it a, a, a very intriguing um, I, I'm sure it, it played some role in, in, uh, in just me seeing that as a possibility. I, I think I think that's 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 absolutely true. What's been your favorite part of covering sports? I mean, what you know, what uh, you know, what's what are some some things that you know you just remember and 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 why you got into this whole whole thing? And you know, what are, what are some things that you really find rewarding about it? Well, you know, it's funny. Um, not long ago. Uh, I guess Roger Kahn died and he wrote The Boys of Summer. And that was a book my mom gave me some years ago. And the thing about that book, I think that book flipped a little switch for me somehow or another. It was the second half of that book where he goes back and visits all the, all the Brooklyn Dodgers later mm -hmm. and sees what happens with their lives. And I remember it being profound to me. And I think that that, that struck at something that is, is what appeals to me the most in all this. I mean, look, the games are interesting and fascinating, often just spellbinding, but really the, the chance, the excuse to get to know people and, and try to understand what makes them tick and, and to be able to try to take an audience where it doesn't get to go. I mean, I think that's the calling of the job is to try to 
you know, there was a Red Smith line many years ago about try to let the reader smell the cabbage in the hallway. Um, I really don't know what cabbage smells like, but I, but I get the idea. And I, I think that's actually more imperative than ever now because um, there are so many more mechanisms for people to be able to track sports, um, sort of making use of the privilege we have to, to be able to speak to people and, and be their eyes in these situations is still very compelling. And so it's really, Joe, I'd say that it, it, there's no doubt in my mind that, that the personal aspect of this is, is absolutely what I find most compelling. And, and um, that, that is an umbrella over a lot of different things, right? I mean, it takes you a lot of different places, whether it's uh, sort of tracking Andy Reid and, and, and you know, going to Andy Reid's hometown and, 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 and following, following through and trying to learn more and more about who Andy is. You know, I've known Andy since he was an assistant at Missouri. Or things like going to the Dominican Republic when Giordano Ventura died. Um, sad as that was, it, I, you certainly felt uh, kind of a great responsibility to try to tell the story as insightfully and uh, empathetically as you could. Well, hey, you oh, obviously, awesome. like you said, have this good bond report. It's very cool that uh, from Andy Reid's days to Missouri's to his current days with the Chiefs, and you guys both have even a Philly connection. Give us, give us a, a real cool Andy Reid story. He's a, he's a great personality. Give us something for the listeners that they. Well, might look, Andy, it, this is a true story, and you guys may have heard it, but it, it, I've talked to Andy about it a few times. You know, so Andy grew up in Los Angeles, and. Andy could have done anything, right? His 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 mom was a was a doctor, a radiologist. His dad was a prop set designer for a lot of things, but Disney, including Disney. So it's not hard to follow Andy's, you know, creativity, mm -hmm. um, all these things through that. But Andy had access to a lot of different things when he was a kid, and one of them was uh, working. I think Nicola was the name of the uh, catering company. Nicola Catering. They did the Tonight Show, and one of the uh, stories Andy has told me before, it's not just told me, but he's told before, is about the time John Wayne wanted an extra meatball. And uh, Andy, Andy, Andy refused to give him the extra meatball. Was, you know, rules are rules, right? No matter if That's you're the right. Duke or not. Rules are rules. And I wish we had some hidden camera video of the moment, but uh, uh, I, I don't think Andy's making the story up. I, I just like to have seen how that played out. But <laughs> so one quick other aspect of Andy that it, it's, it, it's very interesting. And this happens when you become a head coach and probably happens, especially when you become a head coach in Philly, you kind of have to figure out what, what cards you're going to show. And Andy, I think took on the stance pretty early that he was, he was going to play things pretty close to the best. He just don't want to give away the store. And, but the, the downside of that is Andy has a lot of personality. Andy's very funny. And, uh, but, but the most telling thing about Andy is how giving he is to people behind the scenes in ways that, you know, we'll probably never know fully, but there was a player of his at Missouri, uh, named Doug Hembro. And remember he was only at Missouri a couple years, years later when Andy took that Eagles team to the Super Bowl, um, he had, Doug Hembro and his family come to the game because uh, Doug Hembro was dying of brain cancer. And Andy um, spent a lot of time on the phone with Doug in, in, his, in his dying months. Um, and I think it, it's not um, inappropriate for me to say Andy I, is still very much in contact with the family and 
uh, looks out for them. And I think there's probably a hundred stories like that we don't know about Andy. And and I think I think people maybe don't realize what a true humanitarian he is. Even even more reason to to root for him. Yeah, that's that's very cool. Yeah. Well, yeah. I was. Bye. We we. I was telling Jeff about this. I think you know when we first started this uh, podcast, but uh, I remember meeting Andy when he came to Philadelphia uh, as the head coach. You know where we met? We met at Pep Saloon um, over on, you know, on 420 in Essington or Prospect Park. And it was, it was set up by the, uh, you know, sort of the NFL alumni group that was in, that was in Philadelphia and, and we had a chance to meet him. And I'll tell you, I was, I was impressed with him, you know, from, from day one, um, you know, grabbing a roast beef sandwich and, and his thoughts for what he was going to do in, in Philadelphia. And uh, we were, we were super excited to have him here in Philadelphia and it just him going to Kansas city, just like kept on going with those Philadelphia connections. And, and Jeff mm-hmm. and I have talked about that ad nauseum, you know, the amount of pipeline and connections that have happened between, you know, Kansas city and the city of Philadelphia has been amazing, but he, I, I, I agree with you. He's, he's, he's an amazing person. And um, you know, I, Look, I was happy for so many people when the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. The fans, you know, the Hunt family, you know, so many people that I could think of. But, you know, at the end of the day, really, a lot of it all came back to having seen Andy here in Philadelphia, seen what what he has gone through, what kind of person he is. I got to say that that watching him hoist that trophy was was really at, at the top of my list um and and super excited for him so and, and thanks for saying that and as you guys both point out just a perfect marriage him coming to the chiefs you know um it, yeah such a it, good story well, that you relate well, yeah. at, at a time when they both needed each other i think absolutely absolutely andy with going through what he did his family and a rough end with the eagles you're right perfect timing and a perfect fit well Oh, go ahead, Vahe. No, just one last aside, Joe. Sure. I'm sure you, I'm sure you've been there. The name of the place eludes me, but are you aware of that Chiefs Bar in South Philly? Oh yeah, oh, we're gonna do a Charlie's- pod. Go ahead, Joe. Yeah, no, Jeff. Good. Yeah, we, right before the the whole COVID uh, situation, um, we had planned on on doing a, a a podcast live from from there. So we from were going to record it live yeah. from, from with Paul wow. Paul Stico, who's the owner and. Yeah. You know, that was the place Vahe, that my dad, you know, uh, in our podcast, uh, listeners are hearing the story a few, a few times again. Um, but that, that's the place my dad always watched the games when, oh, when I was playing. Awesome. And, and, you know, it was, uh, it's just an amazing place. I mean, those, those, those guys and, and, and ladies there are just, they're the best. Um, you know, and we'll, we'll do so, a pod from there. Once, once the, once this, uh, things are a little bit back to normal, yeah. we're definitely going to be back there for sure. Well, I got to go there once. It was the year uh, Andy returned to Philly when he went with the Chiefs, and I, I was just, I was just awed. I mean, it, it was, it was a Chiefs museum, and the whole story behind it is so great. But, but that, that I love knowing that's where your, your dad went, Joe, to see you play. That's amazing. That's so yeah, cool. We didn't, yeah, I wasn't born too far from there, and 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 I have a lot of family that lives, you know, close by there to 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 Big Charlie's, and yeah, it's it's an I mean, it's an institution. It's great, and. We love it. We found another place. Uh, Jeff and I talked a lot about it in Queens, one of Tony Richardson's uh, favorite haunts. He doesn't live very far away. It's called Big 
uh, or John Brown Smokehouse. And, uh, you know, Josh and his team there are just fantastic. I watched the AFC Championship game there because my family, we happened to be in New York the weekend of the AFC Championship game. So we went there to spend uh, the weekend and we, and we watched the game there. And that was awesome. Like they were, they were just, you know, right on par with the, with the guys and, and ladies from Big Charlie. So, yeah, it was uh, – that was another another one that we found on the East Coast. If you ever back this way, Vahe, if you if you're into barbecue, which you know, having been living in the Midwest now for so long, I'm sure you are. Yes, uh, yeah. it, it, it's 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 a fantastic place if you're, if you're ever in Long Island City. Um, for the, for that Queens. viewing, it was very cool. Joe was actually uh, wearing the T-shirt that you got right for making the playoffs or winning the division, I guess, for the team. Yeah. So cool. Yes. That People circled around him and like making a him wearing his uh, playoff swag is a very cool moment. That's that's yeah, awesome. Blast. Love it. Well, Vahe, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. And thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.